0: welcome to the seven innings podcast. I'm Amanda Scarborough. And today on the show, we have Michelle Smith, Caleb bro, Madison Shipman, and Daniel Laurie. Uh, we are going to be discussing in the show today, the unpredictability of the games in the sec, uh, all American Aliyah Jordan returning to UCLA's lineup this weekend an upcoming red river, red river rivalry. Oh man, that's going to get me this weekend, uh, between Texas and OU. That will be a good one in Oklahoma this weekend. Some mid-major aces who have been stepping up how defense and our game has leveled up. And we'll also answer some questions from the mailbag and we'll shag some stats first on the lineup card. We're throwing it back to the throwdown in Knoxville on Saturday at the Alabama, Texas series where Kayla basically showed up to the field in an armored car with her ring bling. I mean, basically that happened with all the ring bling that she brought and Madison taught us a new way of fielding a ground ball with the glove behind you. But, um, Regardless, at the end of the day, Tennessee won the series over Alabama. However, Alabama did snap Tennessee's 20-game win streak by taking game two on Saturday. Madison,
1: let's start with you. What was your favorite part of the throwback throwdown? Oh, I can very confidently say that my favorite part was not the worst fielding that I've ever done in my entire life being broadcast for everybody but uh you got to make sure that everybody knows we all make mistakes too it's okay um but I honestly I think my my favorite part besides being able to put the jersey back on was actually being able to play catch with Kayla in the outfield before the game because it has been six years I think was the last time that I actually played catch and we know we work together all the time but just being able to be on the field and just put that glove on and be able to throw back and forth I, before the game even started I was just so excited to be able to have that moment I was a little bit sore as the game went on and the next day I did not stretch properly to be able to throw but that is what really stood out in my mind besides the great game that was being played but Kayla I know you showed off the rings and all that kind of stuff I'm sure you have a favorite part of the the throwback throwdown too Uh
2: Bonnie, that the playing catch was up there for me too like I truly I had it like written down in my notes not that I needed to write it down but uh <laughs> You know, it's been a while since we played catch. And I will say it was a little easier playing catch with you than playing catch with Danielle Laurie, which I did at the World Series a few years ago. Because Danielle was like in her prime at the time and she was prepping for the Olympics and she was like throwing me like <laughs> pitching style, like underhand. And I was like, oh God, please please don't get hit in the face. So this was a little bit easier, but I am proud to say that we did not throw the ball away. You guys, we were like on the money every single time. Uh, No, but I think, you know, my favorite part was, I, I think we found a really good balance of, it was a really great game, capturing the value of the game, talking about the incredible players that are on the field by, but also bridging the gap between the past, what built those two programs up and how they are Uh, what they are today and so that was really really fun and it was really great experience and honestly too, the play on the field you guys it was a great series to cover Tennessee and Alabama played their butts off you know something else off but uh, I was really impressed with Alabama specifically in that game too being able to stick with Alex Salter it took a lot of guts for her to go out and face one of the best offenses in the SEC to hang in there her off speed was really working her drop ball was really effective on the low corners of the zone and then Maddie Alabama offensively getting to Carlin Pickens
1: I think it was huge to have for Alabama, somebody like Bailey Dowling step up in the way that she did. I think she's going to be big for them moving forward. And when I think about the SEC really as a whole, Kayla, I I feel like it's Tennessee and Georgia up at the top and everybody else is just kind of fighting for the middle. I think, Amanda, I think I heard on your game, you were like, it's just a mess in the middle because there's so many different teams that are beating each other. And then it's Georgia and Tennessee at the top. And now Georgia, I believe is one game behind Tennessee because they ended up not getting to play the third game against Mississippi State this past weekend. But those two teams, when I look at Tennessee, we talk about the complete pitching staff. Uh, we talk about their offense with people like Kiki Malloy and Donahue at the top of the order, but it's the consistency one through nine that stands out to me because they don't just rely on Kiki every single day. They don't just rely on Donahue at the top of the order, but it's people at the bottom of their order. Jameson Brockenbro coming through with a couple of big hits for them. Zayda Pooney, Riley West like you name it you've got a bunch of different hitters in that offense that are able to explode at any time and I do think that they play very good defense behind their pitching staff too which I know makes a big difference I know we got a lot of pitchers on this call and you know that it gives you guys confidence when the defense is making plays behind them
2: yeah the other thing too how about McKenna Gibson going upstairs with that rise ball, her home run against Montana Fouts was exactly like textbook, how you hit a rise ball. Another good person in the bottom of Tennessee's lineup. And speaking of home runs, uh, you mentioned Georgia, Georgia. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that canceled game, because remember it's win percentage in the sec in terms of winning the sec regular season title. So dropping a game could be actually the, a big factor in whether or not they're able to win or lose this conference championship. Um, yeah, the UTA team, I thought they were fantastic all weekend long. Their ability to hit the long ball is so impressive because Madison, you've talked about it a lot. Their adjustments from inside pitches to outside pitches and showing power to both fields is some of the best offensively that we see across the country. I mean, Jada Kearney was on fire. She had two home runs this weekend. She hit one. It was an oppo bomb and letting the ball travel deep, using that resistance and flexion on the backside and then getting into our extension to hit the ball out of the park. They're really, really impressive. And uh something to look ahead now that we're moving forward, that UGA team and that Tennessee team, two top teams in the SEC, their upcoming schedules and they have common opponents. That's going to make a big difference on whether or not they'll be at the top at the end of the next five weeks. They both play Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, and South Carolina. So they both have four common opponents that are going to really make the difference on whether or not one of those two teams is going to win the SEC.
3: Guys, just to chime in real quick, because I called that game on Saturday uh, for UGA and it was literally a, a home run fest. I think the one thing that you always know with, with Georgia is, is that they can hit the long ball offensively. They put up big numbers, but it's always the pitching for me. And I think the combination between Kerpix and Shelby Walters and Walter's experience being that fifth year, um, mind you, she was hurt last year, so she can't get that additional year, but the experience that she was able to gain from her injuries to now bring into this team and hearing through the grapevine of how comfortable she is, like, Kerpix has been that ace, right? And it's a different feeling knowing that you have to do it all by yourself. But now something that Tony Baldwin talked about was how comfortable she feels knowing she has relief in the bullpen and they both complement each other based on where they throw around the zone. So I think that's huge for Georgia because you always know offensively their money, but pitching wise, are they going to be able to stack up and try to get back to Oklahoma City? And uh, they were dialed on Saturday.
1: Seems to be a common theme for a lot of teams, too, is being able to find that second pitcher to be able to step up. So you're not having to throw the same pitcher back to back to back days, especially in these three game series and these conference series. That's when you really need that second pitcher to step up.
4: Uh, That's going to lead us into the second spot. So we're going to talk a little bit about the big three and the uh, big 12. And that obviously is going to be Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Texas, who all got sweeps in the opening weekend of Big 12 play. Um, I'm going to start off first with the Oklahoma State Baylor series because that game on Friday uh, went 11 innings, and it looked like Baylor was in control early in the game. They jumped out to a 5-0 lead, uh, and unfortunately, that game was not televised, um, and so there was a little bit of controversy on a play that happened middle of the game. There was an overrun at Actually, I'll take that back. It wasn't an overrun. Basically one of the the players for Baylor rounding third base missed the bag and it was caught on camera and basically she was called out. So that took two runs off the board. So that, that really in a very close game made a big difference. So it started out Baylor five to nothing. Oklahoma state came back and scored four runs. And I believe that was in the fourth inning when that happened. Subsequently. um, Coach Moore got tossed, and um, the game then went on. Um, Oklahoma State tied it at 5-5, and it went on until the 11th inning when Oklahoma State uh, finally walked it off. So that was a very you know back-and-forth uh, first game of the series. Oklahoma State didn't go on then to win uh, games two and three. So they're kind of firing on all cylinders. A lot of that has to do with Rachel Becker. She's a tough out, leading off transfer over from Purdue. We've talked about her a lot. I mean, her, her numbers are just – Crazy. She's uh, in her 31 career games at Oklahoma State. She's been on base in every game. 28 of those 31, she's had a base hit. Uh, she's leading the Big 12 and batting average at 518, an on base percentage of almost 650. Uh, and she's also leaving, leading the conference in walks. So it's just that prototypical leadoff hitter that's doing a great job for Oklahoma State. And then, of course, in the circle, they've got Kelly Maxwell, Lexi Kilfoyle. Um, Kyra Acock is a freshman who's been doing outstanding. She got roughed up a little bit in that game one and Kelly Maxwell came in and shut everything down. So Kelly is back in that uh, Kelly Maxwell form. So Oklahoma state doing really well. Um, so they actually are off this coming weekend. And I think Amanda, as we know that the big talk in the back, excuse me, in the big 12 this weekend is going to be the series with the Sooners and the Longhorns. Um, so Texas is going to be rolling into Norman. This week, uh, and if we go back and remember last year, it was Haley Docini in Texas that snapped Oklahoma's 40-game win streak uh, with a victory in Austin. Um, but Amanda, what are you looking forward to in this amazing Big 12 matchup with Texas and Oklahoma this weekend?
0: I'm not looking forward to saying Red River rivalry. And in fact, this will probably be the last time that I say it because I'm not saying it this weekend with you and Beth because I'll just we'll stumble over my words. It's tough. Um, But you mentioned the win streak that Texas broke last year. Oklahoma will come in with a 22-game win streak. Um, And on the Friday game, you guys, they actually get to play in Hall of Fame Stadium. So Saturday and Sunday will be in Norman on ESPN2. Friday will be on ESPN+. And they'll play that game in Hall of Fame Stadium, which almost 9,000 people have bought tickets already. So that game is going to be packed. Um, But I think the one thing that we know about playing... Oklahoma, no matter who's playing them, is that you can't make mistakes. And I've seen this time and time again, just more specifically, when you get two outs on defense, then there's an error or a hit by pitch or a walk. And then you know what happens? The floodgates open for OU. So for Texas, their defense has to play strong. OU is a team that loves to take advantage of those mistakes time and time again, and they live and breathe by the big innings. So Texas will need to limit those mistakes. Um, The other thing that I'm realizing um, amongst the Big 12 in general is that, yeah, it is the Big 3 in the Big 12 with Oklahoma State, OU, and Texas. But I think the Big 3 in the Big 12 have made the rest of the conference stronger. You saw how Texas Tech battled in Austin. They lost two games, um, the first two games of that series. I think they're walk-offs, but they're winning the entire game. So Texas Tech has gotten stronger. Iowa State played OU in game one of that series to just a score of 3-0, which is a win in itself whenever you're playing OU. And I think Kansas has gotten stronger as well. So you're seeing the Big 12, I think, Michelle, which we both played in the in the Big 12, get stronger overall, which I think is is good to see. But it's because the top of the
4: conference is so strong. Um, I actually played in the big eight. That's how old oh, I am. So. Okay.
0: Well, it technically could be called the big eight, at least in softball terms, because
4: there's exactly. eight teams, I think, but God, <laughs> but very true. We did play in that conference. So, um, I thought it was interesting as well, as you mentioned, Oklahoma, just very strong. I'll just rattle off a couple of their stats coming in. They have a team batting average of 391, 57 home runs on the year an on-base percentage over 500, a slugging percentage over 750. So just a juggernaut of an offensive machine. Five hitters are hitting over 400. And of course, you've got Coleman hitting, excuse me, five hitters hitting over 400, Coleman hitting over 500. I mean, those are, they're, they're gaudy, gaudy numbers. Oh, not to mention their pitching staff has an ERA below one with Alex DiRocco, Nicole May and Jordy Ball, you know, each one of those could be an ace at, at any program on their own. Um, the other thing I thought was outstanding about Oklahoma is that we talk so much about their, their defense um, being good, their pitching being good, just six errors on the year for the Sooners in the field. So some really good things going on in the Big 12.
0: Yeah, pretty impressive. And Texas and Oklahoma each went with a three-person rotation and their starts this weekend very interesting and kind of seems like it's maybe being a theme a little bit. Tennessee does that as well as we saw. Um, but okay, let's head to, uh, Number three on the lineup card, beware of flying objects. We had some really good games in the Pac 12 over the weekend. So, as I mentioned before, Leah Jordan returned to the lineup for UCLA after not playing since February of last year, whenever she got hurt at the Clearwater Invitational in February of 2022. Um, UCLA won that series in Oregon. And despite all of Oregon's first three series coming down to the rubber match, they've lost all three of their Pac 12 series. So, unfortunate breaks for Oregon. Stanford swept Oregon state, including two run rule wins and Washington swept Arizona and Seattle. And Danielle at a Washington home game, you really never know what kind of wild animals you're going to see, because sometimes you'll get to see like beautiful bald Eagles flying over the field. And then other times like this weekend, you'll see Sammy Reynolds in the outfield corralling geese. But other than geese, um, was there anything else flying out of the ballpark?
3: Well, I'll tell you when you come face to face with one of the, one of those geese, I'm not doing what Sammy Reynolds will do. I literally have like tried to cross the road, and they're chasing me. It's terrible. Um, But that was a really good series. I mean, Arizona, UW, that matchup, both of them were coming off of series losses, so it was big to try to get that series win. And, and when I just kind of go back and look at it, a couple things stand out to me. Number one, Bailey Klingler. She lights up when the lights are bright. And to me, Pac-12 play, I mean, she had four home runs heading into – um pack 12 and then all of a sudden now she's added an additional four one of them being a three-run bomb on sunday to seal the deal and i mean you look at her numbers she's 431 with eight bombs and it's hard to replicate the season that she had last season but she just finds a way to keep being the one to step up and i think that that's so important but she's been able to have some help and i talked about this last week on the podcast but i'll say it again Maddie Husky has been huge and she leads this team in home runs. So to know that you have someone else behind you that can step up. And then there's kind of a red hot freshman right now. I look at Alana Johnson and just kind of her numbers as of late. So he had a two run home run performance a couple of weeks ago against Oregon with five hits. And then I look at the Arizona series four ribbies, two home runs. Like, so when you have a freshman that's getting that time in conference play and is really stepping up, I mean, I feel like that's a bright light. Um, And then on the flip side for pitching, that really was the teller for me for UW. And opening it up, Ruby Malin was money. Through a one-hitter, I was calling that game on Pac-12 Network, and then they had to roll it over to Saturday because there was an hour-20 rain delay, and she carried that no-hitter, and it ended up being a one-hitter. Um but I, I, the one I circled was game two and it was Kelly Lynch and she performed great. Um, Brooke Nelson threw a little bit, but I think that one hitter that Kelly Lynch was able to throw in four innings pitched was huge. And that kind of set the tone for what she can do, right? I think that really has been the big question. She was the number one recruit in the nation. Where is Kelly Lynch? Is she going to be able to step up? And there's a big pressure that comes with being the number one recruit in the nation. So all in all, when you're able to get game two solid performance from someone like that, I think it sets the tone going into game three. And across the board, we all know Ruby Malin is ace. She has 92 innings pitched on the season. She's going to be that, but she needs to have help and it needs to be consistent. So this weekend was a prime example of that. And they're heading to Arizona State. And uh who wants to talk a little UCLA shop here? Caleb, bro?
2: Yeah, I'll sh- You know, I'll talk it. The one thing I did want to say about Bailey Klingler and this goes for all really good hitters, Is despite the fact that maybe you're not have the numbers that you put up last year, you still are who you are. And that's why she's able to come up with that big hit, the walk-off home run. It's because it's inside of her. It's this gut feeling that I still have confidence in myself as a hitter. Um, No, UCLA, you know, they're a big question mark for me. It's kind of funny because, you know, their uh, schedule is a little bit front-loaded in the pack. They played Washington last week, Oregon this week, a really tough opponent, and they played Oregon on the road. And as you know, Danielle, coming up to the Pacific Northwest as a Southern California person is going to be a little bit tougher. It's rainy, it's cold. uh, It's just kind of miserable up here a little bit this time of year, as you know, because we both live up here. Um, And they've dropped game one of their last two series. And I think that's going to be important. We know that when their backs are against the wall, they can perform, but can they come out of the gate and perform at a really high level? Like I know Ma- Maya Brady, as you saw this weekend, is going to come up, and she's going to get that fuel, and she's going to play better as the weekend continues, but I need her to play really well in game one of the series to set things off for UCLA really well. Um, I thought Jordan Wool- Woolery had a really good weekend. She hits the ball really hard. That young, talented player could be really impactful. Obviously, Amanda, you mentioned it, ali Jordan back in the lineup. They've been really mixing up their starting lineup throughout to try and figure out what pieces of the puzzle are going to click together. And I think the first half of Pac 12 play, um, again, they've been challenged more and they're going to play Stanford next weekend. But the back end is, I think, where they could solidify themselves and go on a really big run. Danielle?
3: I'm with you. I'm on the call on Sunday. So I'm excited to see how. UCLA, Stanford matchup. This is important for UCLA. I I mean, they're not playing to the potential, in my opinion, that uh, they started out hot. I felt like they came into clear water, and it was very apparent that this could be a team that could fight for a national championship, and the way they're playing right now, they're just not as consistent as they need to be. Mind you, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and pack play is tough, but um, they're going to have to amp it up a little bit. I think Stanford's going to be hungry
0: in that series. So that one will be in LA and that's Stanford versus UCLA. That, that series could potentially decide the Pac-12 championship. And we'll have game three of UCLA-Stanford on ESPNU. Danielle will be on the call. That's at 5 Eastern on Sunday.
4: All right. We're going to roll down into the number four spot and talk with Ryan Moore, who is the founder of the Gulf Coast uh, collegiate softball league, Ryan. We appreciate your time um, to talk a little bit about the opportunities that you are giving to collegiate athletes that want to um, further their career, play a little bit more during the summer. Can you explain to us um, really what you're doing and what the uh, the league offers student athletes?
5: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Um, we're super excited to be coming up on our uh, fourth season here in the in the Florida Gulf Coast League and. Uh, um, it's an opportunity to help these, these athletes at the college level grow their games, develop, train, um, come enjoy a Florida experience here on the Gulf Coast. Uh, not some bad weather, uh, a little hot, but uh, good beaches, as you know. And, um, you know, as the game continues to explode, uh, we're looking at new avenues and have new opportunities to keep expanding the summer collegiate seasons for these athletes to have a place to come just like baseball, come and train, develop, get better, and really just grow their game, uh, keep their ceilings higher, and have an impact on their current programs.
0: Ryan, what's the summer like for these athletes um, in terms of the number of games that they'll be playing and how often they practice? Like, How much are they getting a chance to uh, practice softball and play softball?
5: Sure. We well, you know, the players come in pretty good spring shape, obviously, because our dates will go like early June or right after the College World Series, and they'll play up to twenty five games, which will include the playoff system as well as an All Star event. Um, they'll play every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So they have two off days. So that's a lot of games. Um, at every one of our locations, we do have uh, indoor facilities uh, where the coaches and the players can go do one-on-ones or group sessions or get that extra. So if you're not in a game situation, you can go at a facility um, that we have for them, and they can train and develop on, on things that they came to the summer looking to improve on.
3: Ryan, I know when uh, we were with Team Canada, we actually played in that Florida Gulf Coast League prior to leaving and and going with Tokyo but just kind of questions as far as the athletes getting to play around other elite athletes and learning like are you hearing them have conversations about certain experiences in the game like that to me is another way to kind of level up being able to be around other people that are great so do you see any of that stuff kind of going down?
5: Yeah you know first of all it was great to have you guys here um, that summer as you know and here in sarasota and it was amazing and our girls still talk about it the girls that played here against team canada still talking about it so uh to be able to rub elbows with professional players like yourself and we introduced a new thing to um you know each of these play these summer rosters that we have will get the chance to be picked um to play a professional team as you guys know that that we have down here in florida and, and as we make our summer professional tour um, with the professional team we will be playing these college rosters as well. And so it's an opportunity for these players to, to rub elbows with some of the greatest players that play the game and also get a chance to see where they match up, you know, and, and, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, every summer we've been doing this, the caliber of player is it's coming and and it's starting, as you know, explode and, and, you know, we're a league that sees a lot of red shirt type of, of players that need a you know time back we we see a lot of transfer portal type of of athletes that are using the the portal as a necessary tool to make the next step we see a lot of players that um, just haven't played that much that need the extra reps as you know and you know and they, they come to the summer collegiate experience to get that that opportunity and then the plus is playing the team canada or somebody like you that's even that's even better so It's all about the experience, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's the train develop, get better, um, and the game is just exploding, as you know.
1: And Ryan, I think back to my collegiate days and thinking about how valuable it would have been to get those types of live reps during the summer. Besides the reps, is there anything in particular that you're hearing from these athletes that they love about playing in this league during the summer?
5: (laughs) Well, you know, the the players that come – you know they're on a mission they're they're here to get better and train to get better and and I feel sorry for the players in the past that didn't have this cuz I'm an old baseball guy and I'm playing in the 80s and I had college summer experience and the thing that inspires me and I, and the rest of our staff is you know they want to be here and they want to keep growing their game um but we have you know we've seen remarkable um athletes co- come and and do their thing and uh we're just we're just trying to do our little part um, to to help give these players an opportunity to keep growing their own game because you guys see it firsthand. You guys do statistics. Um, It is an exact science. You do more, you get more out and you're seeing the results. And at least in our methods that we've been able to watch, you know, the college world series um, we've seen players make impacts on rosters at tournament time. So it's becoming, but we're seeing the girls, um, that come, they're, they're saying, hey, it, you know we just want to, to play more. We want to be around the game. We want to train more. We want to, we want to you know give back to our our programs that we're coming from. and you're starting to see that. Those girls that are dedicated, they didn't have to come during the summer. they did. And so we've tried to make it fun for them and less stressful because in the springtime, as you know, it's a dire schedule you guys go through. And uh, you know we try to make the summer a little bit more loose, you know, a little bit more loose, less stressful. Um, and just play the game and 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 use it as that developmental training tool.
2: Ryan, for our audience, can you tell us some maybe standout players that you've seen sure. uh, come through the league or some coaches that these these players get to learn from?
5: Yeah, sure. 2020, our MVP was Mack Leonard from Illinois State that transferred to Florida State. That was uh, quite special. Alex Tirocco was here last year. Of course, she went to transfer. Lauren Essman, Riley Boone, I mean, um Jenna uh Jordan Johnson from Central Arkansas, an arm that's unbelievable. Um you're talking you know, I could Haley Lee, <laughs> um, you know, um M- Michaela Edenfield from Florida State, um, Devin Flaherty from Florida State, um, you know, Sarah Longley from UCLA at one time, um, who then transferred to Florida, Ken, uh Avery Gels, you know, from Florida, um, you know, also um, um, our oh my mercy, I'm, I'm drawing blank. There's so many of them that that they're all over all over the place, doing so well, and and we are so happy when we see the results that they're making at their current college programs. It's awesome to watch, and and um, I'm just happy for them. But those are some of the some, they're all stand out to me because they came. But uh, those are some of the bigger ones, I guess.
4: Awesome, Ryan. Well, we appreciate your time um, explaining what it is that you're doing and how you're furthering opportunities for softball players. Uh, During the summer, maybe looking for a new home because of the transfer portal, or uh, you know, simply as you mentioned, maybe they've played behind someone. They're a you know underclassman, and uh, they didn't get as much playing time in their freshman or sophomore year, and and they want to really use the summer to get better. So we appreciate that. If anyone's uh, interested in finding out more information, they can just go ahead and Google a Florida Gulf Coast uh, Softball League, and um, I'm sure you'll be able to find that on the Google machine and and get more information (laughs) so that you have the opportunity to to potentially play in one of the leagues. We appreciate your time, Ryan. Thanks for being with us.
5: Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Okay. Let's head to number five, stepping up D. This is going to be all about defense. And I um, saw some people just talking on Twitter about, you know, just looking at some trends and really defense is standing out to some people, you guys, and, And just the plays that are being made on the infield, on the outfield, how our defense has progressed, evolved, grown, leveled up, whatever word that you want to use. But when you go back, even, I mean, I got done playing in 2008 and we're now in the year 2023 defense has grown significantly. Kayla, why do you think that is?
2: I think the first thing that sticks out to me is the versatility And the expectations for so many of these defenders to play multiple positions and to play multiple positions, your athleticism has to be through the roof. So for me, I think you're seeing development of athletes being flexible, playing multiple positions. That's number one. Number two is I really think that because of the uh, level that all these players are playing at and the exposure on TV and seeing, hey, if that girl can go make a diving play, so can I. Like there's no more. I'm scared. I can't do this. I'm not going to dive because you're going to look stupid, frankly, because everybody around the country is all laying out, giving their max effort. Um, I was so impressed. I I called a McNeese state game a couple weeks ago and McNeese leads the country in double plays and their shortstop. Reese Reina made this super athletic play shortstop to the five, six hole. She tries to do a backhand flip, and I was shocked that they even got the out of the second, but they almost turned a double play, and it's that fearlessness to try to make that play. I think before a lot of defenders are scared to make that play, scared to fail, I'm just seeing less of that scared to fail side defensively.
0: Yeah. I, and I think too, I mean, you just made some really great points. I think we could give a lot of different angles on this, but I think the development of our athletes overall has increased, Um, especially offensively. And then I think defensively, I look to JT D'Amico, who is now at Georgia, but used to be at Washington. And I also look to Tim Walton, Florida's defensive teams have Notoriously been top five, top three for the past decade. I feel like those two coaches and their way to teach the fundamentals, break things down, explain it to their players have been what have progressed all. I think other coaches have learned from that and how to teach their own athletes. So I think of those two coaches, I'm sure that there are more, but um, even talking to Heather Tarr about Washington's defense over time, um, she talked about how they would look at Japanese defenses and how they played and study MLB players and their ability to not only watch defense, but to study it and break it down for their players in a way that makes sense has been instrumental and in footwork and taking angles and reading the, the ball, the, the speed of the ball off the bat. So being able to spend more time on fundamentals, I think has, has greatly um, helped defenses. And I think, um, I think outfield play overall has gotten better, Kayla. And I know that you probably just love to hear that too, but I, I was thinking with JT D'Amico and Tim Walton more in the infield, but I think that outfield's gotten better too.
2: Yeah, really quickly. And I think, Michelle, I think you are chomping at the bit to say something, too. But uh, as far as outfielders go, what I've seen, I think, is an increase in better coaching because there's more former players that are now coaching that were in those cleats that know what it was like to play in the outfield that are teaching these young kids how to do it right. Michelle?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, having spent 16 years in Japan, um, it was interesting because in the early 90s when I was over there, the, the Japanese defense was just heads and tails you know above where we were in the states expectation of throws from the outfield to the bag like to like within the reach of the bag of you know the athlete that was catching it and and so the more that our U.S. coaches went over or the Japanese came over to the U.S. they saw that expectation of how exactly you're supposed to throw the ball field the ball the accuracy um even approaching the ball where you're it's not always like coming into your core, but actually going to the ball and setting it in your glove, all those little things. And you look at Japanese professional baseball, MLB professional baseball, um, you you see the way that our games have kind of trended together. But yeah, absolutely. All of that, a big part of why our defense is so great these days.
3: I also think you kind of look at some of these athletes that are coming in, maybe more fundamentally sound than when we were playing back in the day. Like you look at Morgan Stewart and Jen Schroeder and like their attention to detail on the defensive end, like Back in the day, you're getting pitching lessons and hitting lessons. You're not going to go and get lessons strictly for the defensive part. So I think that that also has added another layer where these athletes are able to come into college with that sense of knowledge of like, okay, number one, I'm seeing it on TV, but I've been putting in that work myself. So when you get there, it's not, you know, uh, so much time where it needs to be spent. They know the footwork, they know the little things, and then the team chemistry and the defensive coach, and it all kind of wraps up. But I think that definitely does help them too.
2: Yeah, and we can just skip right along. We don't need to hear anything from Madison Shipman, world-class defender, shortstop. I knew this you were bro-
1: cutting me off. I saw you, and I knew Kayla was about to cut me off. The throwback throwdown apparently is carrying over for weeks and weeks to come. There's Michelle bringing up the, the picture. I know, yes. We what we're, we're talking, talking
4: about, out. my mullet yeah. picture is going away. My mullet picture is gone forever.
1: Maddie, you've <laughs> taken over. You are the I'm queen. Just, we're just going to have that one pop up on every single game. Yes, I did miss a ball between my legs, and I did the wrong thing of reaching. For it between my legs, and now I will never live it down. But I did want to talk about some good defense, not the horrible defense in that picture, but I feel like the, the, the great defenders that we see, they always seem to be, I feel like we hear us say it, in the right spot. They're always in that spot, and I think it comes down to a defender's mentality of, you can't possibly field every single ball that's hit on the field, but taking the information of the batter's swing, taking into account what pitch is being thrown, using that to your advantage to put yourself in the proper position to make those types of plays. I think of people like Grace Lions over at Oklahoma or a Josie Muffley at Florida State always seem to be in the right spot because they have that pre-pitch thought before every pitch that's thrown of where they're anticipating that ball ending up so that they can make those types of plays. So yes, do not follow the picture of fielding the ball in between your legs, but go with those gut instincts. Thanks guys. Appreciate that. (laughs) Maddie,
4: I want to add one thing. Um, I specifically remember your freshman year at Tennessee um, reading your bio and being like, wow, look at this. We have a six foot tall shortstop. And I was like, our sport has arrived. I honestly, I, I was like, you're an amazing defender. You're six foot tall. Someone didn't try to make you a pitcher. You're a shortstop that has amazing range in the hole up the middle. So that's when I knew our sport was really going in the right direction. So I think that you're one of the, the first best amazing six foot tall uh, shortstops to, to take our game, game to the next level.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Can we just take that in a quote and put that underneath my bio instead of the old picture? Just forget about it. <laughs> good times. And now we have Taylor Pleasants
0: at LSU, who has a similar uh, tall frame. So good stuff. You guys, defense is always fun to talk about. And I mean, defense does win championships. I think last I heard, but anyway, moving on to number six, no taming the tigers and the ACC Clemson swept Georgia tech and has now won 18 in a row moved to 32-1 and overall and 9-0 in ACC play. Their only loss was that one-zero loss to Tennessee in a tournament in Tampa, which was on neutral grounds, interesting enough. FSC won the series against Duke this weekend in the ACC. They played them at Duke for the first time in program history. Um, Duke took game two with a strong pitching performance from freshman Cassidy Kurd, but despite rain delays on Sunday and a shortened game because of travel plans, FSU won game three and took the series. Uh, Madison, why was FSU able to go into Durham and win the
1: series? You know, it's interesting. It's actually kind of something that you brought up earlier on this podcast, but it's the two-out hitting. And I think it stood out honestly for both teams. When I look at Florida State in game 1, it was Michaela Edenfield coming up with a huge two-out home run. And then it was Mac Leonard, I believe, coming up after her in that ball game with another clutch two-out hit. And then you fast forward to game 2 where Duke was ended up winning that game. It was Amina Vega coming up with a huge two out two run home run to left field. So I think it's the mentalities of these teams and not giving up when they get to those two out situations and I know we had joked about it earlier in the year about gone are the days of shortening up and putting the ball in play with two outs or two strikes, but they are going after it. They're trying to capitalize on these pitchers, maybe making a mistake. But again, I was really impressed with uh, Florida State. They're that team that just seems to get better and better throughout the year. And this is a year where they have played a really tough preseason schedule. And I think that's going to help them going down the stretch of ACC play. But, you know, Danielle, I was curious to get your thoughts on this. When you look at Florida State's lineup, and you look at somebody like Michaela Edenfield, she's more down towards the bottom of their order. But when I look at the way that their lineup stacks up, it goes lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, back and forth. And I almost wonder if that's a strategy maybe to kind of throw the pitchers off in the circle. Is that maybe something that you thought about when you were in the circle? I mean, not necessarily, but I mean, I wouldn't
3: put it past Coach Lonnie Alameda with that type of stuff. I I will say this, when we played Japan and they had eight out of nine lefties, I was rattled. So not that I don't enjoy throwing to lefties, but sometimes you'll see these different teams with different hitting tendencies. Um, I like to get into a groove as a pitcher. Like I like to face three righties in a row and then have a lefty come in and jam it in on their hands. So when you are going kind of every other, it can be a little frustrating as a pitcher because you have one side of the plate that you'd love to throw to. You need to be able to go to all quadrants, but you know, you favor something a little more. So it can mentally maybe get to a pitcher a little bit, but let's talk Clemson and let's talk Valerie Cagle and just the performances that she's been able to have. You guys, they have been money since that loss to Tennessee. And, and I mean, they have not lost a game since February 22nd. And that was a hell of a matchup. You look at the fact that Carlin Pickens threw a four hitter had eight strikeouts, gave up zero runs. Like, and then from then on Clemson was like, no way, like it's all pedal to the metal, but it starts with a healthy Valerie Cagle. And I know what it's like to pitch All the time when your body hurts and it's a mental grind. So the fact that she was able to get surgery in the off season and put herself in a position to come in with not only a really healthy mindset, probably feeling good, but some power numbers that to me on both sides of the ball number one in this game, this day and age, are really, really hard to do. So, I mean, you look at her offensively at 485 with 11 home runs, 31 ribbies. She leads this team by far. The next closest is Mackenzie Clark, who obviously everyone knows, but 485 she's hitting right now. And then I look at this team offensively, and I know this is something that I always tune in when Michelle Smith says it, but they have more walks than K's. And that to me is just such a a highlight of how patient they are as hitters. They don't strike out much. They have good, um, you know, they're aggressive at the plate, but they're calm, cool, and collected. And as a pitching staff, that to me is the biggest thing that I'm seeing with Clemson. They're obviously led by Valerie Cagle, zero home runs on the season. 13 home runs given up last year. So she's keeping the ball down. She has better command of the zone. She's older. She's more experienced. And when you bottle all of that up, it means for someone that is out there that is on a mission to get to Oklahoma City. And the fact that their pitchers across the board have a 0.72 ERA collectively um, is pretty impressive. So to me, it's always about, is this a team that can get to Oklahoma City? And until they get there, people are going to keep saying that. So do I think this is a team that could fight and have a good chance? Yes, but we're going to see how they finish up in ACC play. And then once they get into postseason, we'll see if they rise to the occasion.
1: Uh, to your point, Danielle, uh, Clemson did walk uh, 16 times this past weekend against Georgia Tech, so you give them the free passes, they're going to take advantage of it, and I did want to give a shout out to Louisville as well, who's playing really well in ACC. Seven and two is where they sit right now, and they've, they're they led by a two-way player in Taylor Roby, who already has 11 home runs on the season so far.
4: All right, great job, ladies, wrapping up the, uh, the Tigers and the ACC and everything that's going on, and that's going to Go ahead and roll us down into the uh, seven-hole mid-major aces. Maddie, you and I are going to talk a little bit about some of these pitchers in the um, mid-major non-Power 5 conferences that are, you know, plainly said just they're dealing and and to me I feel like there's a lot of parody throughout our game these are some of the pitchers that let's face it when regionals rolls around and you see some of these clubs roll into a a power five conference as a number two or three seed you've got to be concerned because when they're throwing their ace you've got to be on your game to be able to get through and I know that uh, this past weekend Maddie you got to see Charlotte so why don't you go ahead and start us off with a couple of the mid-major pitchers that you've been watching
1: Yeah, I was really impressed when uh, Charlotte played Clemson last week in a midweek, and I don't think that the score was really indicative of how well their pitchers threw in the circle, specifically Lena Elkins, a freshman for them. I thought she threw really well against a really tough Clemson offense. She does a nice job of just keeping the ball around the zone and making people mishit the ball. Uh, Sam Grass is another pitcher for Charlotte that has really turned into their ace, and she's another two-way player. I thought she was fantastic. Um, A couple other pitchers that really pop up in my mind, Jessica Mullins for Texas State. I don't know about you guys, but that seems to be a common name that we are hearing from a lot of opponents as far as really good pitchers. She has that curveball that's got some really good bite to it, and she's not afraid to establish that inside part of the zone to the right-handed batters. I think that's so important to be able to set up a really good curveball with that pitch high and tight up on the hands. Um, Leanna Johnson from Troy is another pitcher too that historically has done a great job for them. I actually got the chance to call her at Troy when they were at Tuscaloosa for regionals, gosh, a couple of years ago. And I thought she was fantastic, has really good bite on her rise ball. And you know, with those rise ball pitchers, you're going to get a ton of strikeouts. And one more I wanted to shout out before I take all of uh Michelle's uh pitchers that I'm sure she wanted to talk about too was the duo uh over at South Alabama between Olivia Lackey and Jenna Hardy I think that they've both worked really well together both of them roughly around 100 innings pitched already this season um, but I think they've played a lot of power five opponents actually got a one, a win over Auburn this season um so those are a couple of the pitchers that I'm definitely keeping my eye on uh through the rest of the season
4: yeah, absolutely, Maddie. Olivia Lackey was definitely on my radar as well. She, uh, as a freshman, beat Alabama uh, at the Rhodes House, so she she can deal it as well. A couple of other ones that I've been watching are um, Allie Rayley from G- uh, George Mason. She's seven and three. She's thrown two no hitters since February 25th. Not many people can say that. So she's been outstanding as of late. George Mason coming in at 17 and 11. Um, Jordan Johnson from Central Arkansas. She's another one. Central Arkansas is one of those teams that is 20 and eight. She's done a great job. She is 10 and three. She's got a whip and an ERA below one. So one of those teams, they show up, they have a good day, they can bounce anybody. Sydney Lester from Marshall, uh, she's at 16 and two. Um, 142 k's on the season a sub one era a sub one whip Um, 51 based on balls though I mean think about her whip it's sub one and she still has those 51 walks if she can eliminate those walks uh, you know that whip is going to go down and overall Marshall is 27 and three
1: so that's a team if they show up in your house you got to be concerned. I think a big key to these pitchers' success, too, is they're not intimidated by going up against these Power 5 teams. And I think a lot of that has to do with them playing a a lot of these opponents early on in the season, but also the film and the scouting report. I'd imagine from a pitcher's perspective, when you can watch an entire season's worth of a player's at-bats, that's got to give you a ton of confidence going into maybe their house and pitching against them. But I think that that's a big difference. I see a lot of confidence with these pitchers and a lot of pitchers that can spin the ball very well across the country.
2: And what an advantage they have because a lot of these power fives are worried about their conference games over the weekend. And they're not worrying about these mid-major pitchers in a midweek.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Great point, uh, Kayla. All right, Maddie, I appreciate the help breaking down the uh, mid-major pitchers. That's going to roll us into the eight hole. Um, We're going to shag some stats. This week on shagging stats. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and go first and, since we're talking about pitching, I might as well just continue on my shag, my shag and stat is 17, 17 strikeouts that how that's how many K's Maddie Penta had in game one against Missouri, it was a seven game, excuse me, seven inning complete game shutout a two hitter, but 17 gays on the game.
3: I'm going with a little Pac-12. Um, this is the third week straight for the Pac that they've held the number one conference RPI designation in the RPI. The SEC held the number one conference rank going back as far as the NCA records on their website. So since the beginning of 2021.
2: Danielle, are you talking smack about the Pac-12 and the SEC? Is that what you're doing?
3: Nope, maybe. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm going to keep it out on the West Coast. Uh, I wanted to highlight Joe Evans' team, UC Santa Barbara. The Gauchos lead the country with 20 triples in 26 games, you guys. That's a lot of triples. Next best team is Wichita State. They've got 17, and Sydney McKinney has six of those triples. So she's got a, a big piece of the, a big chunk of that. And uh bonus Shag and Stat, just because we were talking so much about defense. OU, we talk about they're hitting their number one in fielding percentage in the country. They only have six errors, you guys. Dang. What about you, Maddie?
1: A defense is insane, Kayla, uh, but I actually wanted to go back to the hitting side of things and actually owed to Kayla Bro uh, in the leadoff position. And I wanted to give a shout out to both Rachel Becker from Oklahoma State and Jada Coleman from Oklahoma, both, of course, in the Big 12 but the leadoff batters with on-base percentages over 635. Jada Coleman with an on-base percentage of 639 and Rachel Becker with an on-base percentage of 6. 6- 43, absolutely insane way to set the tone for the rest of the offense.
0: Yeah, those numbers are wild. Uh, My stat is going to be about the regular season attendance record. It was held since March 14th of the year 2000. You guys for Arizona versus Fresno state, a double header with 5,700 people at Bulldog stadium. Why do I say that? Because that number is about to get crushed on Friday night at hall of fame stadium for Texas and OU game one. There should be about 9,000 people there, but it goes all the way back to 2,000, 5,700 people at Bulldog stadium. Super interesting. That
4: was Shaggin stats.
0: Um, Okay. Headed to number nine. Let's head to the mailbag and jump in with two feet. So Seth Oliveris wants to know who has a better pitching staff, Tennessee or Oklahoma?
4: Hmm. All right. I'll jump in real quick. Um, I am going to say the, uh, fourth string pitcher for Oklahoma. Um, and that would be their offense. So (laughs) the fact that they score more runs, uh, Tennessee is close behind, but you know, that's a tough, tough question. I think I will take, Um, The experience maybe of uh, the Oklahoma pitching staff in big pressure situations. Kayla, what do you have?
2: Uh, I'm going to give the nod to Ashley Rogers is the best pitcher on either staff. I saw her pitch this weekend. I think she's just really mature, really sets up batters really well. So if you're talking about the number one pitcher on the staff, my nod is to Ashley Rogers. And if you're talking about staff alone, might give the nod to Tennessee. But Michelle, you're so right. Like that offense gives is like a fourth string pitcher for Oklahoma. That's a great way to put it.
0: Fun fact here is that um 68 is the strength of schedule for Tennessee and eight is the strength of schedule for Oklahoma. So Oklahoma has faced much tougher competition to also potentially make their uh pitchers even more experienced with their women's college world series experience to a lot of them. Um okay, let's do one more. Uh wide line, this is from Hoping Well 1723. Wide lens view, but will conference realignment be affecting the PAC 12 and big 10? Will UCLA be a big 10 school for softball? You guys remember that news broke. I I feel like it was a little while ago, but I mean, UCLA is apparently headed to the big 10. What do we think
3: about that? Danielle? It completely changes the dynamic of of the pack. Like UCLA is the team that that can pretty much almost win it every single year. And when you strip and take that away, not to say that other teams aren't legit. You know, Washington is, you know, Oregon, there is a lot of good competition. But when you have the big dogs like a UCLA in there, it just makes it a little more fiery, a little bit more fun. I'm, I'm like not happy about it. That's just kind of where I'm at with. That. I'm not, not happy that UCLA is going to go. I remember when they would come play us and freeze their tushes off in the dugout because they were so damn cold. So now they're going to go and play in the big 10 and fly what five hours every other weekend. Like it's such a difference on these athletes in the wear and tear of what it's like to fly across country. And then you're dealing with it being cold. I don't like it. And that's how I feel. They're going to get some good frequent flyer miles. I think Kayla.
2: Yeah, ditto. I agree with you. They're going to get good freaking flyer miles. And, you know, what's interesting is it's going to completely change the dynamic of the Big Ten because it used to be Michigan's world and everybody else was just living in it. And now comes big, bad UCLA. Like, I bet they win the first few conference titles uh, in that conference. It's going to really uproot uh, those programs. But uh, to to the point that we're going to see not only in the Big Ten, but also in the SEC OU texas come to that conference is going to make everybody else bet- better ucla going to the big 10 is going to make that conference have to work a lot harder and be a lot better
4: all right well great job everybody a couple of questions from the mailbag and that's going to wrap up our show here for the seven innings podcast so remember to follow us on twitter at seven innings podcast and uh send us your ideas your questions anything you want us to chat about uh, i thought it was a great show today a lot of information um uh thrown out there a lot of great stats, and uh, we hope uh, you'll continue to join us on the road to the Women's College World Series.